On this week's dose, we have Alexander Pacheco, CEO and founder of 150, a social media app looking to reimagine the way we interact with our friends online, or as he deems it, a small town with just your friends. Now, Alexander was fed up with existing social media like many of us are, and he realized that there must be a more authentic way of connecting with friends while still being able to meet new people. By harnessing the concept of Dunbar's number, 150, or basically the number of friendships a human can maintain at one time, he launched an app where you can connect with your 150 friends and the friends of those 150, making a total of about 10 to 15,000 people in your network. Now, the app is free to use for the first year and then charges a small $2 a month subscription. No ads, no influencers, no strangers, and no brands. A completely reimagined experience. Now, tune in to hear more about Alexander's journey building the app, the challenges he's faced thus far, and the roadmap looking ahead. He also gives us some unique advice and perspective on networking, as well as becoming a founder for all the pilgrims out there. Quick side note, unfortunately, for all the pilgrims who are big Brandon fans, he was not able to make the interview this time around for personal reasons. So this one was a solo dose, so you have to bear with me uh, asking all the questions. But we hope to have him back as soon as possible. And with that, it was a pleasure having Alexander on this week's dose. And we hope you enjoy our conversation about 150. This is Venture Pill, your weekly dose of startups and venture capital. We break down recent startups in the news and interview founders and investors to help you stay informed in the evolving world of venture. All right, we welcome on Alexander Pacheco, CEO and founder of 150. Uh, welcome to Venture Pill, Alexander. How's it going? Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Sam. Yeah, good, good. And uh, we're excited to hear more about your story. Uh, we we interview a lot of founders and it's always interesting to hear, you know, was that always a plan of yours? Did you have the entrepreneurial bug from a, from kind of the beginning or had you always planned on starting a business? Mm, I think it was an unconscious thing. I had this, uh, yeah. this uh, philosophy of being like oppressed on me of uh, psychologically unemployable. Where like you were just never satisfied with whatever someone else was doing. And I, I just needed to do something myself eventually. Um, but finding the right, the right business was always important because it felt like a, well, we talk about businesses like a, like a mission, like a purpose. Like it's always such a grand idea. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to wait and wait for the right one. And hopefully it comes up and luckily it did. So yeah, this feels like the eureka yeah. moment. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess give me, give me a little bit more background on you. Like what, what did your early career look like? How did you, how did that journey kind of lead you to the idea for 150 and, and how did you know it was the right one to mm. jump in on? Uh, I came out of high school feeling like I was born for the first time. You know, I, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't going to go to college uh, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I backed out last minute. And um, so I just, I moved down to Florida with some friends and I moved back up to New York and it was like a, a weird meandering path. I worked, you know, dozens of random jobs uh, from, you know, in the uh, cell phone industry the marketing industry, the uh, 
uh, pool industry, sold RVs mm. for a while, did seminars, was investment advisor. Um, wow. I tried all these random things just, well, that could be cool. That could be cool and see what, what else is there. It was all exploration. Um, but I found consistently, uh, I tend to always to gravitate towards things associated, associated with like people, technology and, and capital. Like I loved mm -hmm. the, in, the investment advisory role because, uh, the most transparent thing about who a person is, is how they spend their money, like what they mm -hmm. value. I was like, it was such a cool, cool thing to learn. And then, you know, how learning about people through learning about how money moves. But those three things kind of came to a uh, a center point with this idea for 150. I remember the night, it was like February 7th, 2019. I just came out of like a long meditation with a group of people. And uh, I was upset like this, with the state of social media like everyone else. But, but I knew about Dunbar's never. And I was just like, oh, curious. Whoa, it, it floored me. I never felt this before in my life. And I knew it, I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know like what it was going to be like. That night I knew it hit me and it was like, what would happen if we had a network efficiency of the Dunbar's number? Because it's not just your brain's limit of meaningful relationships. Dunbar's number is also the group human, like group human efficiency limit. What a crazy number to do both of those things. Why are we not trying this out more? Why are we not exploring it? So uh, I quickly like started researching and, uh, oh, path. Oh, there's one that used Dunbar's number. But what did they do? Did they get it right? Did they execute it right? Was it a wrong timing thing? And mm -hmm. I, I think it was wrong, partly wrong timing and part in the execution too, but it wasn't nearly there. But now Dave Morin's on the app. <laughs> Shout out <laughs> to him. He's great. But like, I'm a big fan of what he does and like, I want his like advice. It's great to have it there. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was like the first night I didn't, never did an app project before, knew a little bit about design. That was probably my biggest forte. Never ran a company, never had employees. Man, like it was, they could have given it a harder problem to a less qualified person. <laughs> but, but I'm like, I believe in this. Like, I think it's interesting. And the more I started researching over the subsequent months, uh, the more I talked to experts in their fields. So I talked to like the chief scientist of mathematics of the US Army. I talked to the director of the information warfare group at Stanford. I talked to network science professors around the world. And the more and more I showed them this of how like our information model is different than social media or group chat platforms, something new in the middle. They're like, well, we don't have the data to prove or disprove this, but you should go, you should keep going with this. Hmm. So like the idea is why I knew it, like it was worth taking from an idea and making it a reality. Um, yeah. it was, it wasn't not just the panel of experts. It wasn't just the Maria, uh, Eureka moment that night. Uh, but it was also like, you know, COVID was not just a, uh, like a pandemic. It was a, an information campaign. It was a way for us to make consensus, to learn about what, what we're learning about, to, yeah. to talk about that together. But holy cow, the months leading up to it, the year rather, um, I was like learning about information warfare and how the history of propaganda and then how information spreads through human networks, how we come to conclusions, how we make consensus and how we're all influenced by a variety of things and ways. Then COVID happened. It was like, wow, it's like, Hey, final, final exam time. And you didn't know you're getting tested and yeah. seeing it happen in real time, day by day. Like oh, those are probably some of the most depressed days of my life, not because of COVID the event, but more so of, 
of <laughs> being on social media so much because mm. that was the only way to get um, the unusual or hard, uncommon information. Yeah. You, like, you had to get it before the news got a chance to storytell on it or else <laughs> like you had never had a, an opportunity. So that was a big one. Um, and then, uh, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm very much sold on it. I will see this through to the end. And uh, until I see that there's no, better solution for social media of which case I think we're the best one in the world right now. I say that constantly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unless I, unless I can find a better solution out there, I will keep going because this just needs to happen. We got to have a solution yeah. done. Well, it's clear. It's clear your passion for it and in, in a crazy kind of uh, <laughs> way that you, a, a crazy, <laughs> a crazy way, you know, a crazy yeah. way that you arrived, arrived at the idea and dove into the research and talking to experts. And then the, kind of the culmination of everything with COVID, I guess, mm. walk us through like how the, the next two years and leading up to today, how things evolved, the, some of the early challenges, early successes that you've had. Mm -hmm. The, uh, so when I first had the idea, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I eventually figured out I need a product designer. So <laughs> I like used my like life savings at the time to like pay hire one, like sold my couple thousand dollars in crypto really not concerned about getting out of crypto or early anything like that. I'm not yeah. that type of player of the game. I just liked it philosophically. Um, but I hired a product designer. He produced that. Um, and I hired my first developer through an agency. Don't recommend doing that. That was very expensive. Um, hired, get my first money invested through some friends um, all in the first year. I'm like, whoa, I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then we produced our first product in February, 2020, like right on the eve of COVID. Um, I was like, marketing at like at SMU in Dallas and everyone's like, yeah, this is cool. It's cool. That's what we wanted. That's what we wanted. But it was hard to kind of get people started coming back to the app. Um, something we can talk about a little bit later about like the challenges of network effects and stuff, but mm -hmm. we were very much against that uh, in the beginning stages. So it was back to the drawing board. We we're like, all right, how do we redesign this? We were being far too restrictive. Um, I drew out plans for the next version, but then it was a weird meandering next year, 12 months to 18 months, mm -hmm. because I was following a lot of unpopular, sorry, I was following a lot of popular advice. And this is something mm. we're, we're talking to the pilgrims here, um, yeah. whether getting into venture or as a founder or, you know, or as a investor yourself, um, uh, Peter Thiel talks about there's uh, competitive startups that are like incremental improvements of what exists. It's like, Oh, my grandmother has a great uh, recipe for British food. We're going to make the best, best British food place yeah. here in Palo Alto. And uh, that's our secret recipe is going to be the sale, the sale, the incremental improvement. Mm -hmm. Or you have the monopolistic startups, the ones that go for like a, a zero to one, what he's talking mm -hmm. about yep. um, of like, hey, we Google's pay, great, pay drink overnight turns on instantly. Everything's way worse. Or the night uh, McDonald's turned on. Uh, all the other quote, fast food or like restaurant service, uh, mm -hmm. businesses, like we're way worse, way slower. So, um, yeah, yeah uh, the, the challenge was to find, uh, what worked and like, what could give people more virality with it. And so it was a, it was a hard balance of, well, we're making a, uh, we're making a place for small close friendships, but we also still want it to be, you know talking to a lot of people and like engaging more socially viral. So it was hard to develop something uh, that did both of those, but eventually we figured it out. I started listening to more and more unpopular and uncommon advice mm -hmm. stop listening to the popular and common advice so much. 
Sure. Um, because the best advice is really ones that that's tailored and sure you can join a million groups, million, like go to the most public venture association or like venture events that you can see in, in Austin or in big cities, or go to the most popular startup uh, events that you can find in any big city. The mm -hmm. advice you see in all those places will be exactly the same, but yeah. it's going to be the advice that happens in the private events or in the clubs with memberships. Uh, sure. that are going to be the very, very effective leading edge ideas that everyone's in the game for in the first place. Yeah. Um, so you just got to know when to use one or, or the both. And that's the hardest thing to, to figure out sure. what's right for you. Sure. And so a little bit off topic, um, but while, while you're mentioning it, you know, you're mm. certainly, you know, you're, you're plugged into the Austin venture community. You mm. go to a lot of events. That's kind of how we got connected. I guess speak to a little bit of why you chose Austin, um, kind of the value of some of these groups that you're part of mm. and speak to just the, just some of the things that you've gotten out of the networking you've done here. Cause I know you're all about that. Obviously that's part of the impetus of, of 150. Um, yeah. <laughs> talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it's great. I'm I'm a networker making a networking tool because I can't find a good enough one out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I moved to Austin in April of this year um, because mm -hmm. I was up in Dallas for the past seven years. I love Texas. Uh, the more I traveled around the country, the more I realized this is where I want to be long term. Um, so I came down here. It's the only place to be for tech and startups. I mean, uh, Dallas has the got uh, Houston, every ma major city that's non tech, but mm -hmm. like if you're doing anything that's kind of groundbreaking, I say before series B, <laughs> Yeah, you know, like as soon as you start to mature, yeah, you move up to Dallas, you be around all the CEO, like fortune 500 companies. That makes sense. But if you're on ground floor, avant-garde leading edge, you're down here in Austin, it's far more experimental. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I came down here. I didn't know anybody. And, uh, I started going to all of the public events, all yeah. the public startup events, venture events. I'm like, I just meet everyone and meet everyone. My goal wasn't really to, find them a mentor or get a great idea or like get something from those events. Uh, well, the only thing I was right. looking for was for friends, friends like that. You are, Oh, you can learn more about that. You want to be a little bit that you admire each other, that you're in similar interests, similar industries, things like that. They can just vibe with. And then you found a few of those friends and then you went one-on-ones with them. We went deeper and then you found like, who are their friends? That's the second very important part. You go to friends of friends. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow, who are you? What, like, who are the people around you? I'm like, that's so yeah. cool. You get there. You guys are great, great friend group. Um, the value, the greatest value I found in, in Austin has been increasingly smaller and smaller events. Hmm. Pretty much anything public, open to the public, where it's like a public facing free event, bright thing, yeah. um, weren't good for me. Not to say they wouldn't be good for other people, especially not starting out. Like it's probably a great place if you have no better place to go. But after a few years in my belt, I know what I'm looking for, especially the people. And uh, I found the smaller groups I got into, the more generally I liked them. Yeah. So I, I can I can name a few groups here. Yeah. Um, sure, there's the there's the Fudo guys out uh, near campus. They're a bunch of like anti big tech people. Um, <laughs> not, not so much of being like malicious or anything, but they they just really love the counterculture take and that's very exciting to me to, yeah, to see that yeah. in real time um the it's backed by aaron wolf he's um that was the seed investor in whatsapp he was the founder of yahoo games a lot of them are like old like not old but like <laughs> our our elders in tech like they can teach us the lessons that us new people 
haven't had our versions of yet. So they're great. Um, they're contrarian and they don't follow popular advice. Um, I also really like the, the highbrow lowbrow cloud. That's a new social club in, uh, in East Austin. Uh, it's kind of like burning man meets entrepreneurs. Uh, (laughs) so like the artists that flock there, like you actually get a really nice mix of artists and entrepreneurs, which Mm -hmm. crazy ideas 100% of the time. But those are the fun ones. So I'd rather be with like a whole mess of like, we won't make it, we won't make it. But then one does and it's amazing. We all celebrate Mm -hmm. together. That's great. And then um, there's a based in Austin group uh, that happens sometimes. Cool. They're they're very cool too. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. so much going on in Austin, and we Tons. always love to we always love to highlight founders and investors in Austin. Just to you know, it's a, it's the hometown, but uh, you know, it's a growing scene, and I think the more the more good people we can get down here, creative, you know, young, big thinkers, uh, it's exciting mm. to 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 I guess think about what kind of companies will will end up coming out of Austin the next. Dell or, you know, the next big tech companies, they are not even all tech companies too. So it's super exciting. You know, you know it could be like counterculture tech if that's a yeah. genre yet. Like yeah. it's just the alternative. Like, well, yeah, we have, we have the main culture, but what about the other stuff? And right. that, that might be here. So yeah, that, that's yeah. fun to be around. I haven't heard it uh, coined that way, but it, it makes a lot of sense because <laughs> there's such an interesting mix of people here. Right. Like you said, the artists meet entrepreneurs, meet, you know, coders, meet business people. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. But uh, wanting to shift, get, uh, shift gears back to kind of the nuts and bolts of 150, if you could just kind of break down really how it works, how the current app works today, where you can find it, and then some of the just the general challenges that you've seen in building a social media. We all know there's the giants out there. You're, you're taking mm-hmm. a different angle at it, but how's that been? And what are some of the strategies in terms of network effects that you're looking to employ to really grow this thing? Yes. Uh, that's a huge question. Probably like <laughs> a whole podcast in its own. Yeah. Um, uh, 150 is a new type of social network. That's a small town of your friends of friends. You can add uh, up to 150 people um, because that's Dunbar's number. Your brain's limited meaningful relationships. And then we auto-populate out your friends of friends. So it should give you somewhere in the in the realm of 10,000 to 15,000 friends of friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, it pops you into our main feature, squares, which are just hashtag chat rooms with friends of friends. So pop in a hashtag Austin, hashtag skiing, hashtag startups to meet new friends through friends through common interests. Mm-hmm. This is a the natural, organic you know, easygoing passive way of like just having conversations on the time if you want to be purely social, analog social, uh, without any of the ads or brands or strangers. Uh, so just really easy to connect and it's supposed to be organically made for the modern brain. Um, the hardest part with this is that we, I'm in a unique industry. Uh, many industries have middle level businesses. There's middle level successes, but not in the social network industry. It's giants or champions rather and all of the losers. Yeah. Um, you're either made it or you're not. And, and the platforms are so massive now is that they basically just eat anything that can be a feature like clubhouse. Come on. Yeah. It was valued at billions and did no one expect for one of the big guys to just copy it and beat them with the user base. Right. That is the case. Like pe- people will, a new startup founder in the social space will struggle, struggle, struggle. And until they start to show some signs of winning, they'll close like their series A. And then at that point, Twitter or Meta or someone will be like, 
uh, TikTok was already making a, uh, what is it? Be real version. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's called now, I think. And Uh yeah, like they are all so easily copyable. So, um, there, I found there's two plans or two options for attack in here, uh, of what you can make. You can make a pinwheel or a platform. Mostly everyone is making a pinwheel because it's a simpler product to understand. You can hone in your metrics uh, a lot more simple, like point in cases, this gas app, like they've gotten their pinwheel down very, very, very well. He said he spent 90% of the time uh, focused on the friends of friends finder tool on the app and only 10% on the app itself. Like Mm. that's the name of the game of a social place. But the problem is, is that one of these social platforms, uh, well, What's what's it going to solve? You know, this is just another yeah. night, like another can, candy dopamine slot machine. Like we don't need this. And sure, it can make money. Mm-hmm. You made money, great job. But mm-hmm. lots of things can go make money. Like it's it, that's the easy part. But mm-hmm. like the hard thing is like if if you're getting into VC or you, being a founder, it's like don't you really want to try to change the world? Like yeah. with the kid inside of you, like to think that you could do something why not try? And I know everybody wants to, but then it gets hard and they realize, oh, this is way harder than I thought it would be. And then, well, I have a family now, or I want to just start to lay, like life just kind of gets in the way, Mm -hmm. quote, quote. Mm -hmm. So while I still have my momentum, I'm like, let's go big. There's pinwheel and platform. Platform, you know what you're going after and you have to compete with class A products. We're competing with Instagram for screen time, Mm -hmm. Twitter for screen time. Uh, and so we need to find out what they are doing poorly, which even by Zuckerberg's own admission on Meta, uh, they are reject, uh, not rejecting, but not prioritizing our meaningful relationships. It's more yeah. and more, here's the content we want to show you. And like, you're going to respond to things that are more controversial psychologically. You're going to like comment, share the things that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum rather than the boring normal stuff, which is most of our lives. Yeah. So like it changes us in that way. Um, so we're targeting with a platform and we realize that, yeah, we have to support all these different things, not just squares, our new feature, but stories and feeds and doing all the friends adding stuff. It's, it's a lot, mm-hmm. but, uh, so then we have to find our power users basically and triple quadruple down on them. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to you before the podcast that like, uh, one of my friends who worked at early at Uber, and in the beginning, they weren't targeting just everyone that needed a ride. We had taxis mm-hmm. and that's what people use. Like taxis were like our Instagram. Everyone's just using it. Network effects are huge. So what they did was they targeted uh, events. They went there and like, who needs a ride home? Here's a free ride home, free ride home, mm-hmm. free ride home. They solved the, the problem on the spot. Now, on yeah. the other end, they targeted uh, limousine drivers and taxi um, medallion holders and said, hey, here, these people need rides. Use our app. Go. Mm-hmm. And they started small and then found the user base and kept going and kept going, kept going, kept going. Props to the uh, Uber team. They are amazing operators, uh, much to learn from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that was a grueling grind against some very, very hard uh, Goliaths. They were yeah. that David. They, they, they won though. They won. And so more dreamers here. Um, yeah. As long as you keep going, um, uh, I say like, say do it. Yeah. Yeah. And the stuff you're referencing, if anybody's interested in learning more about the story of Uber, there's a really good book. Mm. I don't know if you've read Cold Start Problem. By yeah, Andrew I have Chen. it on my desk back there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a good one, a good read. And Andrew Chen was, um, 
I guess you could say early at Uber. I don't know exactly how early, but he was, mm-hmm. he's now a VC. Anyways, he explains kind of this challenge of starting a network and doing things that don't scale like you're describing and yeah. building an atomic network and then growing it uh, from place to place from there. Really cool uh, breakdown of how network-based businesses, which a lot of the businesses today that we've seen to be so successful in tech uh, have network effects that have driven the growth. And so as I, I was going to be surprised if you hadn't read that, uh, but <laughs> anybody listening, uh, a cold start problem. And I know you mentioned while we're talking about books, another book I, I recommend is you mentioned Peter Thiel and his zero to one theory, oh, so zero good. to one. Great book. Any, any entrepreneur should, or yeah. aspiring entrepreneur should check that one out as well. Yeah. I've read it like seven or eight times. It's, <laughs> it's very good. Uh, yeah, and yeah. one of the best edited books too. No fluff. Prof, Prof. Andrew Chen, great book, a lot of fluff. It could have been reduced two thirds in size. Um, yeah. But Teal's editor, great job. Right. It's amazing. Right. And I believe, I believe it was one of his students at Stanford that kind of actually wrote it and con- yeah, and, Blake uh, Masters. Yeah, yeah, Blake Masters, yeah. exactly. Right. And uh, yeah. so he really, he really whittled it down, and and yeah, high value per per page there. Uh, yes. Oh, so <laughs> worth your time. Uh, that's what yeah. I love about it. Very worth your time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah but uh, a little tangent there, but certainly, uh, the, you know, those are the main challenges I guess <clears throat> you're facing. What does what does growth look like from here? You guys have had some early success. You launched it on the App Store. Congratulations on that. Uh, Thank you. What does the plan look like maybe next year? Are you looking to fundraise? We always like to hear a little bit about the fundraising plans too, specifically. Yeah. Uh, so up to this point, we've, we've raised a little over 100000 Um Just a small pre-seed investments over the past couple of years, like, we need a little bit more to do this, a little bit more to do this. Sure. Um, I like doing it this way just because it really keeps me concentrated on like what I, what I'm doing and yeah. the next goal in mind. It really pushes you to uh, stretch that dollar to the extra mile and it's helping me form like a habit of being really efficient with my capital spend. So, um, I'm happy Great. that I, I did it this way. Um, but very soon we're going to be doing like a first big raise of like two or three million, uh, Q1 mm-hmm. next year in the next probably 60 days. We'll start, start the fundraise. Have some cool. people I already kind of talked to a little bit, um, but the plan is to get achieve a certain amount of traction metrics that I'm, I can sell and stand behind because uh, you can go out and sell anything with some storytelling and mm-hmm. you can go get money, um, especially if you have a network, like you can mm-hmm. go get your funds. But, um, you know, I'll put myself in the investor shoes, like I'll wait till I would drop that amount of money where it's clear. And I think with what capital we have right now, we can go... Uh, find those metrics. I want to mimic clubhouse. Um, they had a 1200 users at, but an 18% daily active user rate. Mm -hmm. That was basically the sell. Um, they, that were, they were valued at a hundred million dollars with that. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, it was during, it was during like those huge valuations, huge, huge. And on top of that, they're a copyable feature. That's more obvious looking retrospectively. Uh, but I'll think we'll probably raise between like two or three million at a valuation of like twenty five million or something like that. Q one next year. Uh, I can't speak uh, specifically for like my ideal par- partners publicly, uh, okay. but the type is definitely contrarian. Um, mm-hmm. I like to add to the coffers of people who have a philosophy of the future that I agree with. Um, yeah. Basically, believers of the American Renaissance. Uh, there's yeah. a few of them. Uh, so many people think that we're closer to revolution. But I believe we're closer to your renaissance and there's a lot of historical precedent that suggests that. Uh-huh. Uh, so um, I, I look for the people that are like 
definite optimists, uh, believers that, of, of the Renaissance and dreamers and thinks, think that we can actually do something to influence it. And uh, those are the people who I want to add value to. So awesome. Awesome. Well, good luck yeah. in the fundraising. Um, well, Thanks. I love get, the arena. Get, yeah. Get some partners in Austin. I'm hoping, um, uh, and grow this thing, uh, you know, and, and let that, let that pinwheel grow and, and plat- <laughs> get that, uh, platform built a little bit yeah. of both there, but, uh, kind of to, to wrap up the episode, you know, you mentioned some advice for the pilgrims out there, I guess, mm-hmm. um, Anything you would elaborate on for folks that are specifically looking to found a startup? To found a startup, not getting involved as a venture capitalist or, or an investor, right? Yeah, yeah. I just figure, you know, you, you've taken that path. You had somewhat of an unconventional sure. path to it. Any advice, like looking back, would you have done it differently? Or just for people exploring like ideas that they want to maybe go after? Mm-hmm. Uh, I once heard... Uh, if I could go back and do it again, I would have done the right thing sooner because uh-huh. it's, it's very much a drunken walk. Like <laughs> be, we're frontiersmen. We're pioneers. We are seekers of the great beyond. That's what humans do at our core. But like, it's not so easy. It's only so clear retrospectively after mm-hmm. it's happened. So um, first, I don't want to sound so uh, contrived, but it's like, it's like discovering your why. Or rather, when I design something, I write at the top of the paper purpose, colon, mm-hmm. what do I, what am I bringing this into being for? Mm-hmm. Like, sure, it's just a feature on an app, but like, why does it exist? Like, why yeah. are you making this company exist? And it's not just really solving a problem. There's a Japanese concept for a reason for being called Ikigai, mm-hmm. um, I-K-I-G-A-I. And it's a combination of four things. Uh, and it's been a great framework for me. But that being said, all models are wrong, but some are useful. This is just having to be useful. It's uh-huh. find something you love, find something you're innately good at that you pick up a little bit quicker than other people. Uh, find something that the world needs and find something that you can make yourself wealthy doing. You mm-hmm. need all four. Uh, this is no easy task. Sure, you can go incremental improvement, start up all day, and those startups are still being funded. Oh, you reduced yeah. uh, friction in a, uh, you know, 100 the $500 million industry by 5%, 10%. Okay, great. Uh, you will, you can probably sell that company for tens of millions of dollars and then you'll never have to work a day again in your life. You can win with singles. You can win with those. Mm-hmm. Um, but know what you're going for when you're going in. Are you just going in to make money? That's okay. But don't, don't storytell as if you're doing more, if that's not what you're doing. Because when, when big projects come around, then, and all those words have been used up, all those descriptors like, like, oh, um, that sandwich I had today was awesome. Yeah, well, what word will you now use to describe the birth of your first child? <laughs> the words we use are powerful and important. When you change the words you use to describe things, the things you describe change. So people just need to be very intentional about what they're coming into the industry for. Um, and then the whole founders with mental health thing, it's very important, but the best predictor of well-being in humans, even from a mental health perspective, is your meaningful relationships. And a great way to do that is on 150. <laughs> <laughs> love, the, love the plug there. Love the plug there. <laughs> so, no, that's, that's great. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think yeah. you, know, you got to combine the passion with the opportunity and, and know and know why you're doing it. Um, so that's, that's great advice. Um, 
you know, I guess you're, you're plugged in the Austin startup scene. Any, any Austin startups or any startups that you think we should uh, keep track of or that our listeners should check out? Mm, um, we are doing some really cool stuff in the space defense industry. Um, mm -hmm. There's one called Umbra. Uh, it's a satellite startup. Uh, and they, they partner with uh, SkyFi, which does satellite imagery. So together, mm -hmm. they, they do some great things together. There's another, uh, I forget, but they do uh, like 3D printed rocket fuel. Um, yeah. Well, well so, so like rockets can like, oh, you turn on the fuel and it goes up. Got it. But what if you want to make it less dense so that it can slow the slow it? So like they can make rockets go up fast, slow, position its target, and then speed up again for wow. the first time. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's really cool. That's wild. When you when you said those words combined together, it reminded me of like when you go to the Texas State Fair and they have like fried ice cream and you're like, wait yeah. a second, yeah. how does how does that make sense? Three D printed rocket fuel. It's like what is this a startup carnival? Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that sometimes. Yeah, but that's but pretty I'll cool. Take though. It. Yeah, we'll have to check that one out. Um, yeah, Umbra. Lots of, lots of yeah, Umbra. Big. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we've. Um, I, I myself have been getting into a little bit more space tech and just the, the kind of the renaissance, you mentioned renaissance, renaissance of space innovation is, is really yes. cool. Um, we're yeah. hoping to get, get some space founders on eventually. Uh, but uh, Alexander, uh, hope uh, incredible. Can. Yeah, yeah, of course. Incredible conversation here. Uh, loved hearing the story of 150 and, and kind of your thoughts on startups. Uh, obviously, our goal is to share the story and, and help spread the word. How can folks connect with you if they're interested in learning more and where can they find 150? Sweet. Oh, thank you for being a great host. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Very, very warm and inviting. I, uh, you can find 150 on the App Store, 150. Um, you can look at our website, 150.earth. Uh, and then you can always connect with me on Twitter. It's probably the most prominent social media. Uh, mm -hmm. It's twitter.com slash Alexander Curves. Okay, awesome. And we'll link all that into the show notes in our description. Great. Um, but, uh, Alexander, awesome to have you on. Good luck with, uh, sort of the end of the year, starting that fundraise and getting those initial metrics. We hope to check in with you, uh, once you've raised that first round, maybe, uh, we'll, we'll have some updates for the, for the pilgrims. Yeah. That would be a really cool story to tell. Really yeah. Cool. All right, man. <laughs> well, we'll see you next time then. All right. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. See you next time. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibe's a little low-key, okie-dokie, that's alright, but...